Let's go back in time, 2,700 years ago. Get in your DeLorean. Get there now. There's two guys that we're going to look at. One is Isaiah. He's a prophet. That means he's the microphone for God. God says something to Isaiah. Isaiah says it to his country. The second person is a guy named Ahaz. And Ahaz, Ahaz a kingdom. And, and he's the king. And it's a not a great day for him to be the king because there's another king from a different kingdom called Assyria that's right outside of Ahaz's kingdom. It's called Judah. And that's God's people at this point of the story. And what's happened for everyone who's gone against the Assyrian army is they have lost brutally, badly, and all the time. The Assyrians are godless, bad people who invent horrible ways of killing people. And now they're at the doorstep of Judah. And so one day Isaiah goes to Ahaz and he says, the invasion that you're so afraid about isn't going to happen. It's not that your fear is a bad thing because your job is protecting the kingdom and it looks like the kingdom is about to get pummeled. Just know that it's not going to happen. And then he leaves and it doesn't happen. And then he comes back and he says, remember how I told you it's not going to happen. It's still not going to happen. But I want you to know this like in your guts that it's not going to happen. So you can ask for a sign. Like, you can ask God, God, I want a sign, which I think in our religious context, we think, ooh, we shouldn't ask questions about God. Like, that, that, might, that might upset him. He might be stressed out. He might be busy. I don't know if I can ask this. But he says, you can even ask him. So Ahaz says, ah, I don't want to ask him. It's too hard. And so Isaiah says, okay, fine. I'll ask him. The sign that God is going to give you that the invasion is not going to happen is it's going to be like a virgin who gets pregnant with a baby. And everybody's like, what? That, that doesn't make any sense. And so I, Isaiah leaves. And Ahaz lives his life. No invasion happens. He dies. His son becomes the king. And now it's getting worse. No invasion has still happened, but they get a lot closer. The Assyrians are now on the doorstep of Jerusalem, which is the capital city. It's where Ahaz lived. Now his son is there. And Isaiah is still there. And the message still proves true. God is going to save his people. It's going to be like a virgin who gets pregnant and delivers a baby, even though she's still a virgin. The point is, is that it's not going to make sense. It's going to be impossible. And when you're outnumbered 185,000 to whatever Judah had on that day, you're, it's going to take a miracle. And so one night while the kingdom slept, the angel of the Lord moved through the Assyrian camp. And 185,000 soldiers died in the middle of the night while God's people were asleep. And so they woke up. And all of a sudden, what looked like certain death and dismemberment didn't happen anymore. It was like God sent a virgin who got pregnant in to save the situation. And so the Assyrian army, those who were still alive, woke up and realized it's corpse city here. We're getting out. And so the danger, the, the, the certain death that was facing Judah all of a sudden disappeared. They were saved. And it was just like Isaiah said, look, it's going to be like a virgin who gets pregnant. It's going to be that miraculously. At this point of the movie, if we were watching this, the screen would go black and then what it would say, it would say 700 years later. And then the lights come back up and, and the, the music starts again. And 700 years later, God is doing something different. It's not in Jerusalem, in the big city where everything happened. It's in Nazareth, which is basically a forgotten town right on the edge of a military base 
What happens when soldiers go on leave? Not great things. And all that happened in Nazareth. And so God shows up to a poor girl there living in Nazareth. And he says, I'm going to begin saving my people. And it's going to be amazing. And I want, it to, I want you to know that it's going to be a sign. It's going to be something that signifies that God is on the move. And so it says this in Matthew 1, 18. You can go there if you click the QR code that's on your paper if you got your, or on your outline. If you've got a paper and ink Bible, you can go there and turn the page there. We're going to be there for a little bit. And this is the book that God wrote because he loves you and he loves me. And this is what it says in Matthew 1, 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, which is Isaiah, when he said to King Ahaz all those years ago, 700 years before, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. Let's think about Christmas for a second, all right? Regardless of where you stand with God, there's a lot of Christmas that's encouraging to us, that's appealing to us, that somebody from the outside, God, moves into the world to bring peace to everybody. We'd say that that's good, that there's hope for us, regardless of what type of situation we find ourselves in, and that's sprinkled throughout the Christmas story. We'd say that that's good. That there's a woman that God sees, that God knows, and that before she has had sex, God gets her pregnant. We would say, I don't get it. That, that's where I'm out. This is one of the most challenging parts of the Christmas story. And instead of just ditching it and hoping that if you're a Christian, hoping that your non-Christian friends just never ask you about this, instead of avoiding it, we're going to go right through it today. We're going to go right at it because it demonstrates God's glory, God's love, God's power. And also the fact that God's not afraid of some questions. God's not afraid of all of us who have made it through that super awkward week in sixth grade health class where they're like, this doesn't make any sense. God's got something to teach us in this. He wants to remind us that, that his power isn't limited by what we understand. I mean, it, it's the only time in, in remembered history that abstinence wasn't exactly 100% effective. You know, it's 99.9999 repeating, of course, effective. Here's the exception. The thing that I want us to grasp is none of this is meant to insult our intelligence. It's meant to acknowledge our intelligence. We tell this to our kids often, there's no question you can bring to God. No thing that you're wondering about, no thing that you're not sure about, where God is going to be like, whoa, I didn't expect that. We need to rewind. Let's go to instant replay. I got to Google. I got to figure out the answer right now because you, a 10-year-old in Fresno, just stumped me. There's no moment like that. In fact, the God who created your mind and created my mind knows everything that we're going to ask. And he's not shook by any of it. 
So if we're going to be like our Heavenly Father, we can do the same. We can look at things like this and ask big, knowing that God is going to answer big. So what, what about this? What about the miracle of Christmas in the virgin birth speaks to us? The first off is that Mary, just totally scientifically and, and historically speaking, Mary gives birth to Jesus through the miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit. Mary gives birth to Jesus through the miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit. That's the miracle of the virgin birth, that it's exactly what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before. Look, the virgin will conceive, and the child that she bears is going to be God with us. It's exactly what happens. Every generation within, like church people and men and women who, who study the Hebrew and the Greek and how all these things meant back then and what they mean today, every generation there's somebody who says, well, you know... The word for virgin then as like somebody who hasn't had sex is the same as like a young girl. So it could just mean that he's not saying this. It's not miraculous. It's just convenient. Every generation is there someone that comes along and says that. But the mountain of language expectation, the mountain of theology, the mountain of God saying this is exactly how it's going to happen is saying that Mary gives birth to Jesus through the miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit. None of it is an insult to anyone's intelligence. It's all an acknowledgement of our intelligence. It's Occam's razor, that thing that says that the most logical outcome is the most probable outcome. If you hear hoofbeats, you don't think zebras. You hear horses. This is a horse's situation. It's acknowledging our intelligence. What it's also doing, and hear me on this, get me on this. If you're a new Christian, this is something I want you to understand, is this pushes us to the fact that your relationship with God and mine is based on a supernatural God who loves you and saved you from your sins. There's a million things about that that is not going to make sense to us. Like the fact that a Jewish guy who was executed by the Romans 2,000 years ago actually has something to bear on the fact that you drank too much last weekend. Like that, that, that death then can do something about this failure now. That's supernaturally how God works in the world to take what Jesus did then and make his payment for our sin count for everything. But I wasn't there. doesn't matter. It's God's supernatural ability to bring peace and restoration and salvation from our sin into the world. So what's the real deal behind Mary giving birth to Jesus through the miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit? It's that one more time from the top. Mary gave birth to Jesus through the miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit. What does that show us? The virgin birth shows us that God did all the work to save you and me. God did everything. A different way to look at it is this, okay? This is God revving the engine on salvation, Unless you're afraid your car is going to die, you're at a stoplight, you don't rev your engine out of fear. You rev your engine out of confidence that you're going to beat the Prius or whatever's next to you off the line into the next intersection, right? I don't think there's any cops in here. We can all admit it'd be fun to drive fast sometimes, okay? You don't rev your engine out of, I'm playing it safe. You rev your engine because you're saying, look at me, I'm going to do something. And so God, stepping into human history, to save the world. He says, it's going to be the type of thing you look at. None of it's done in secret. None of it's done where, I don't want to cause a scene. He's causing a scene. 
How, what's the scene going to look like? There's going to be a virgin girl on a forgotten city, and I'm going to show up to her and say that you're going to become pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says six things to us. First, is it salvation? Is, the, is God's work? He's the one who starts it. He's the one who shows up. He's the one who makes it happen. Second, that we cannot undo the curse of our sin, that it's going to take God. It's not going to take you and me doing gooder. Isn't going to happen. It's God saying, I'm going to save you from yourself. Three, it's saying that Jesus is from heaven. Four, it's that he's fully human. He's born of a woman, just like all of us. Five, he's fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, which is none of us, right? So it's all of us that he's born in a woman. It's none of us that he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Six, is it's the triune power of God working to save the people of God. This happens a couple times in the New Testament where God the Father, we worship one God who's in three different forms that all work together perfectly and seamlessly. God the Father creates Jesus the Son through the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit that lives in the world and lives in us. It's all three working together to save us. It's God saying, this is me. I'm going to make a scene about it. And Mary gives us the perfect picture of what it looks like to, in a God-honoring way, say, how on earth is this happening? Like, how is this going to be a thing for me? Mary gives us a perfect explanation of it. And he shows us, she shows us that following God is a surrender. It's not a negotiation. There, there's a moment in this story where Mary buys in, but it's never like God is just working with her. God didn't send somebody in there to get the deal done. God's getting the deal done, and he invites her to participate. Same with how it is for us. Like Brandon said so well earlier, when Jesus says he's the bread of life, that's something for us to choose where we fall on that. He says, whoever believes in me, whoever has faith in me, who's the whoever? We're the whoever. We get to choose where we fall in this. And God's about the, world, about the business of reconciling the world to him and gives us the choice whether or not to surrender to it. It's not a negotiation. He's going to save the world. He lets us choose where we fit in with that. And so if you flip over from Matthew 1, go to Luke 1. It's two books over. And Luke gives a lot of Mary's response to it. Every book, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are written to four different groups of people. And they're written four different ways. And so they include four different sets of, of evidence, not because they contradict each other, but because they complete each other. You and I are going to have two different opinions about what happened this morning just because we're seeing different things. We're doing different things. We got here at different times. We're going to leave at different times. So the four accounts of Jesus complete the picture of everything that happened. And Luke includes what Mary says. So the angel shows up and says, I know you're a virgin, but you're going to get pregnant. And she's like, I didn't like, catch that during sixth grade. He says, it's God. Most awkward Maury Povich show ever. Who's the dad? And God shows up, it's me. Um, but he explains all this. And, and Mary's first response is the same way that you and I would ask. She says, like, how? Luke 1, 34, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Like, here's the reality. She's responding with every ounce of logic and experience and understanding and knowledge that she has. That's all you can expect of her. That's all that you can ask of her. In all the reality of this being difficult for us to explain in 2023, 20, it's a million times harder for Mary to explain in her day. 
She lives in a super strict religious environment, and she just found out that she's pregnant before she's married. And none of that is going to end well for her without God's intervention. I mean, it's the way that pigs and chickens look at a bacon and eggs breakfast. Chickens contribute, but for pigs, it's a life and death issue. And today, she's the one bringing the bacon. It's like, if this doesn't work out, I am literally dead. And, and so she asks. She says, how? Like, questions are good. There's some doubt that wants to know more. There's some things that you and I question in, in our relationship with God, and it's because we're not satisfied with where we are, and we want to know how all of this stuff works together. This is good doubt. There's other doubt that says, I don't want to know. I've got questions. I'm not going to be satisfied with anything, so go away. That's bad doubt, and Mary's in group one. She says, I want to know how this is going to work, because everything I understand up to this point doesn't work, because all I got is an egg. Like, there's no second part to it. And so she asks questions based on what she understands and where she, at, where she is at this point logically. And so the angel responds, and he explains. explains this is what's going to happen, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the, pregnant, the baby that you're going to give birth to is going to be the Son of God who's going to save his people. And so Mary responds to that. First question is, how on earth is this going to happen? Second question, or second response is in Luke 138, and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me comes true. Translation, whatever you say. You know, it's when your boss asks you to do something, and you know a million reasons why you shouldn't do it, but you got that nice paycheck, so I'm going to do it. Whatever you say is 100% lip service. But she's committing to obey. She's committing to take another step forward. She's committing to follow the best that she can based on where she's at right now. The truth for her and for all of us is we are totally against ideas where we don't get to be in charge. We're totally against things that we can't control. I mean, part of the reason why tithing is such a big thing is because it's 10% of your assets that you're opening your hands to, not knowing if you will ever see that money again. That's why it's scary. I'm with you on that. So what, what are we going to do? It's Micah's question. We're selling the donuts at a loss. Dad, we're going to starve. But there's a God who puts things back together. There's a God who covers for us. There's a God who provides for us. And what a relationship with God calls us to is beyond the things that we can understand. If you can explain everything and have it all make 100% logical sense about how Jesus came into the world to save people from their sins, I don't think you've heard the good news. Because it's the death of a Jewish guy thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, that somehow impacts my life and everybody, else, everybody else's life on earth. It's a little bit wacky. But God says, I'm going to work in the wacky, and I'm going to increase your faith every step along the way. It's a surrender. It's not a negotiation. And if we follow God with only the things that we can understand in our super limited mind, we're going to miss God and his goodness. We're going to miss what God has for you and me and the life that he's calling us to. So Mary leaves the thing after a conversation with the boss, whatever you say, I'm going to do it, rolls her eyes, walk away. But she's still obedient. She's still moving forward on us. After this, she does something I think is crucial for us to see. 
And she leaves from seclusion in her house. She goes into the countryside where her relative Elizabeth lives. And the whole first chapter uh, of Luke, the first half and then the end of it, is about Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah. And they are both well past the age of having kids. Like they're like, they're done. They gave up. They wanted a kid. Never happened. And God says, I heard your prayers. And even though it's way later than you expected, your prayers don't expire like milk. Instead, you're going to have a kid. And it's going to be miraculous. And he's going to be spiritually significant for the rest of eternity. And so Mary goes to spend time with Elizabeth. And in that encounter, her relationship with God changes. What I want you to hear is Mary is holding it together when she's by herself. But she gets with somebody else who loves God and follows God. And her faith changes. Her life changes. You being here today is significant. Because you're around other Christians today. As soon as we get out those doors, our lives are going to go back to whatever brokenness looks like for you and for me. But today, you're going to be reminded of God's grace, of God who saves us when we don't deserve it, of God's goodness, which repays our sin with salvation, about Jesus who comes for us, removed with compassion to bring us into a relationship with him. It's significant that you're here because this empowers you to live the rest of the week for Jesus. Being alone doesn't work like that. And so Mary leaves seclusion, goes to be around somebody else who's miraculously pregnant. And her response changes. Verse 46, Mary says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will, be, will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Like Mary's faith, get this, Mary's faith grows in stages. And sometimes when, when we give the opportunity for people to say yes at the end of a service, say yes to Jesus at the end of a service, sometimes it's people we have never seen before. They hear the good news, they're like, yes, I'm in. I want a relationship with Jesus. And sometimes it's people who have been with us week after week after week. And it doesn't matter. Because God works in us both different ways. Some people, they hear it, they're the microwave, they're like, I'm in. This is good. I want this. And other people, they hear the good news and they think about it and they think about it and they think about it and they're wrestling these decisions in their head. And then one day the crock pot hits the right temperature and they're like, I'm in. Both ways work. Mary grows in her understanding about God's love for her, God's call on her life, God's miraculous work in her life. And it takes her a significant amount of time to get there, but she gets there. It's not a negotiation. It's a surrender opportunity. Where God is saying, this is what I'm going to do in the world. I'm going to become human so that by becoming human, I can cover the sins of all humanity and I can bring a planet who doesn't care about me, who lives as my enemy, the 67,000 people in Southeast Fresno who don't care about Jesus. I can bring them into a relationship with me. We get to be part of that. We get to say yes to Jesus as he finds us empty and broken and living as God's enemies. And we get to leverage our lives to be men and women who are on mission to see that happen. There's miraculous work that God does through Christmas. Some of it's explainable, some of it's not explainable, but all that points to God's love for you and God's love for the world and God's invitation to you and me to join him in his work of saving the world. Can we understand it all the time? No. Is it good for us all the time? Yes. Do we see God's love for you and for me through all of it? Yeah. Because he loves you. 
and he wants to share that with us in ways that are going to change everything for us. Let's stand and pray.